What is going on, guys? Adam Comero here with the Duke Basketball Corner Podcast. Before Duke is set to play Virginia Tech tonight in the Sweet 16 in Washington, D.C. Why is this being released so late? Because of two unfortunate incidents involving me and technology, which is always an adventure. First, this morning, as I was basically ready to... Uh, kind of send, send uh, post my post the podcast to the website, Podbean, the computer just restarted, so I lost all that. Yes, I should have obviously saved it, and awful. Had to go to work, set up a time to come back, just recorded a long uh, preview, everything was good, realized that it stopped recording at a certain point. So good times today. Hopefully Duke is more successful than me. Because right now, I am on my third try, and if you sense a little bitterness right now, it is not Duke-related. I will, uh, I, will run, I will run through this, and I am really excited for the game. The only issues are my own and my, uh, my personal battle with technology. So, Virginia Tech, 100th win for Buzz at Virginia Tech against Liberty. The program's in the Sweet 16 for the first time since 1967, and it hadn't won a tournament game since 2007. So I think we all kind of, or not all of us, but a lot of us, we almost expected Virginia Tech to be this good, and I predicted them to be to tie with Duke for number three in the preseason for the ACC, and that was before they lost Chris Clark, who I thought would be a fantastic sixth man who had proven to be them. And that was before they lost Justin Robinson for 13-14 games. So it's amazing what Buzz has been able to do with Virginia Tech. And uh, I'm sure Seth Greenberg is very proud of him. So Buzz has a type, and I really love that type. And it's the same type, I think, as Chris Carrowell and Chris Carrowell's type, who he's starting to bring to Duke. And I love it. Guys like Wendell Moore and Boogie Ellis. A big key with these types is whether they'll be able to shoot. But the effort in the dog defense is a guarantee. It's an absolute guarantee with them. And the leadership and just, I mean, the effort. The, everything is there in terms of what you want out of a grinder. And that's what Virginia Tech is full of, those positionless grinders. Obviously, a guy like Boogie Ellis, he's too small to play my, uh, outside of the backcourt. But a lot of those types are going to be positionless types. There's more attitude-related. I mean, you had Chris Carrowell playing center at times against Duke. So, I mean, that shows what kind of uh, grind he was about. Um, let's see. I th- I th- real quick, a lot of us are still set on um, being angry about people saying Duke has been exposed. No, I mean, that's what people are going to say and write who have not been watching Duke or want the hot take or basically... Just it gets attention, even even though it's not true. But if you give it attention, it's going to keep going that way. It's going to be a pattern. So instead of promoting your your issues with Duke hate, you're promoting. I mean, you're promoting them by doing that. So instead of doing that, pr- promote quality. Why not? I'm not even saying it has to be me, but promote those who are going to give the quality analysis. I mean, I've been giving the analysis saying why that is wrong. Or not why that is wrong, but 
I've been given the analysis that proves otherwise the whole season in terms of what they're writing. So promote that or promote someone who does that. But I think it's it's worthless to get caught up in that and put that all about your like social media and everything. Because what does it do? Like in essence, what does it do? It just brings attention. Whoever is listening to this who does not care about Twitter or social media, I understand. I apologize, and I will. I, that is all I have to say about that. But I do think it's worth it because a lot of people do get their news and get their articles and all kinds and all kinds of stuff from Twitter or whatever social media. So if you're if you're promoting Duke hate, then that's what's going to keep coming. Promote promote quality. I mean, the thing that gets me annoyed is when publications run with incorrect information and just put anything out there. Like, I don't typically give names, but Three Man Weave wrote that Jack White did not play versus UCF because of a coach's decision. While actually managing to link an article in the same piece from The Ringer, which said that Jack White had torn his hamstring. What are either of these publications thinking? I mean, first of all, he, he said he heard something pop in the locker room, but I had Brant Wilkerson knew he, he gave you the information in the last podcast. Like, that's official. So I don't know what these guys are doing. Like, there's nothing out there saying Jack White has torn his hamstring. I mean, obviously there's different um, kind of levels of tear. But, I mean, because if, if you're just going to write he tore it, without any sort of source, most people are going to think he's out for the year. And it wasn't a coach's decision. So I don't know what either of these publications are doing, but that's the crap. That's awful right there. And if you you call them out more than just like once, I mean, again, it's just you don't, you want to avoid really making too big a deal about that because then it just encourages it almost, which is really a sad situation. But let's move on. The last matchup, uh, Duke-Virginia Tech, February 26th. Virginia Tech won in Blacksburg. Virginia Tech has won in Blacksburg, I believe, the last three times they have played there. Uh, and lost, in, and it was close in 2015 as well. Duke has blown them out, I believe, twice in uh, Durham. So, uh, let's see. It was their second worst game, of, uh, defensive game of the year behind Gonzaga, in my opinion. Cam had a, few, had a huge first half. He was pretty much non-existent in the second half which has been a trend for him. And uh, his missed three at the end could have tied it on a really nice uh, creative driving kick from O'Connell, who had blown his responsibility previously on the other end against Outlaw to hit what, in essence, you could say was the winning shot for Virginia Tech. I think that put him up like 73-70. R.J. Barrett was sick in that game. Um, I think he had flu-like symptoms, which is always funny. Like, when are flu-like symptoms not the flu besides a hangover? Because I think Nazir Little, he is uh, being listed as having flu-like symptoms today. So, I don't know. But, I mean, basically Virginia Tech was a great matchup for Bolden on offense. A great scoring game and terrible on defense because of that positionless basketball that goes on in a Buzz Williams type of team. And it it was really, he struggled staying off the dribble with guys because he has to give some sort of room off the dribble. He doesn't want it to be like Gonzaga where he's not able to get out. But it's, it's, it's just a tough matchup for him. So possibly with Zion back, that'll make it easier with Zion being able to provide that help. So maybe Bolden can get out a little further. Zion's there for rim protection or on the weak side. 
Duke did play zone at times, similar to the last few years. Again, positionless Virginia Tech. Goldwire only played Jordan Goldwire only played one minute, so we'll see now if he he's in the rotation more often, as in uh, Coach K's good graces, very trusted if he gets more time. Nine point five. Let's see, now I will go over some stats. I will do plenty of just kind of player based and team based, just my thoughts. Let's start off with some stats. So don't worry, this is not going to be a whole analytics thing. 9.5% forced turnover percentage was their worst of the season. Not being able to turn over the other team, again, that fits into what I say is Duke needs to be able to create live ball turnovers. They need free throws. They need offensive rebounds to create energy. The three-pointers kind of wiped each other out from both ends. Duke couldn't hit from three, but Virginia Tech couldn't hit from three. And Virginia Tech's a fantastic shooting team, which I'll go into. So I would say that's advantage Duke, except for the fact that uh, Duke, I mean, that's what Virginia Tech wants you to do. So Duke was kind of falling into that trap, you could say. But you could also look closer. 14 of 25 Virginia Tech jump shots were unguarded. So... Well, Virginia Tech did not shoot a high percentage from a three against Duke. Let's see, the exact percentage was uh, 8 of 26, 30.8. That's a lot below their average. So, But if so many are unguarded, it's kind of like when I had Jordan Sperber on the podcast talking about how you, we review games and look at what shots you could say are high-efficiency shots that you, a team would generally hit. And can you count on them missing them? No. So are you gonna are you gonna get are you gonna give Duke too much credit for that? Probably not in terms of Virginia Tech. But at the same time, we'll take it. All right. So moving on from that, Virginia Tech they play a lot a lot of matchup zone, or you could say it's man with a huge emphasis on keep on keeping teams out of the lane. So there's a lot of icing. There's long possessions. They basically dare you to beat them with threes. Sometimes, at least to me, it almost looks like a more aggressive pack line in a way. Uh, they shoot, let's see, on offense, they shoot really well. Number 13 in the country in effective field goal percentage. Ranked number 9 in the country from deep. They can become three-point reliant, uh, though they have shown the first two rounds of the tournament against teams even slower and smaller than them that uh, they do have the ability to uh, drive and hit from two and really use Blackshear well to do work inside, get some offensive rebounds. They do not foul, so that hurts Duke right there in terms of getting to the line, even though I guess getting to the line is always an adventure with Duke there anyway. Slow tempo, ranked number 332. There are 353 teams in the country. Their Their forced turnover percentage, it ranks number 24 in the country, Yet, it really doesn't lead to much transition, actually, which is interesting. They're ranked the 8th best transition offense in terms of points per possession, but they only get out in transition, ranked number 280. So they're not getting out in transition often. Then they're ranked number 40 on defense in the least amount of transition allowed, which is great, and they rank number 37 in points per possession allowed. So they don't allow you to run. So they don't foul, and they don't allow you to get out in transition. That takes away just statistically, two out of Duke's three main factors, which I say are so important. Virginia Tech, uh, let's see, three-point assist rate on the season. Uh, 
see uh, on the season it's uh, 44 about 44 percent uh, 46 percent in conference national average is 39 I don't know where I got to oh yeah okay 52 percent was the the three-point rate against Duke that game on the season it's 44 percent overall 46 percent in conference national average is 39 percent the three-point rate if you do not know what that is it's the percentage of three-pointers you take compared to overall field goals. Not so much the last three games as Florida State, St. Louis, and Liberty forced them to score inside 32, 20, and 28.1% rates. Florida State's a bad matchup, and then the other teams just really stayed at home, but they were smaller, so Virginia Tech could work them inside. They hit the free throws. They a really good free-throw shooting team, so that's something I dream of with Duke. Again, that's the ninth in the country, three-point percentage, 39.5. They will press and trap and force turnovers. As I said before, they don't run off those turnovers as much as you'd expect, possibly, with a positionless basketball team. Uh, let's see, they're kind of the reverse Duke and point distribution. Duke, 26.5% of Duke's points are from two-pointers, which is ranked number 310. I'm sorry, 26.5% of Duke's points from three-pointers, ranked number three time. 55.6% of their points are two-pointers, ranked number 24. So they don't rely a lot on threes, or they still shoot a lot, but uh, they don't score a lot on threes. Uh, They're ranked 24th on, on twos in terms of the percentage of points. Big difference there. Virginia Tech, 31.1% of Virginia Tech's points are from three, ranked number 40. And 44% of Virginia Tech's points from two, that ranks number 316. So you have Duke, number 310 in twos. I'm sorry, number 310 in threes, number 24 in twos. Virginia Tech, number 40 in threes, number 316 in twos. So complete opposite, polar opposite. As I said, with the three-point defense that I that I've uh, kind of harped that Duke is it's their most underappreciated, really strength of the team. Not just strength; they were dominant for most of the season. After Gonzaga, twenty-four games, only Clemson, Cuse, and UVA did they allow thirty-eight point percent, thirty-eight point seven percent shooting or better from deep. Uh, Clemson. That was just really there wasn't there weren't many shots. It was uh, I think like fifteen total shots or like six of fifteen. Cuse have gone over that many times um, in terms of the total outlier game that was. And UVA that was the second UVA game. Cuse was the first Cuse game. The UVA was the second game when Duke was nailing everything from deep, and then UVA hit some from deep. And it's just both teams are the opposite of what they were in the first game. So that was interesting. But in the last seven games, Duke has allowed 38.7% shooting from deep or better in four of those games. And yeah, absolutely, there's context involved. In FSU, three out of the last, they made three out of the last six, and that was when FSU was trying to come back. Um, UCF, Aubrey Dawkins, you just can't prepare for that type of thing. Um, And uh, North Dakota State, like that was just... Uh, a first half where North Dakota State was making a bunch, but you know what? It still happens. All right, so without when Justin Robinson was out, about 13 games, the Hokies reinvented themselves, played a lot of pistol, with Blackshear making decision, decisions at the high post, 
running a lot of action around him. And uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker's shooting percentage went way down, but what helped is he did improve and get valuable time as a playmaker for others, which I've seen being able to help now, like against Liberty. He made some great decisions on plays against Liberty for teammates to uh, get them buckets at the rim or outside. Um, let's see, besides that, I would say... Before I get into specifically each player, Justin Robinson, I mean, the pick-and-roll action, he is the number one best player in the country in pick-and-roll kickouts. He's a great scorer himself. He can even play off-ball, great athlete, can do it all. Really fantastic player. I had him preseason ACC first team. Passing out of the pick-and-roll when the defense commits, he's unbelievable. I mean, the stats... And just the eye test, you can watch it. The stats, he's, I mean, the points per possession. I mean, the fact that he missed so many games and his passes out of the pick and roll are still so high in terms of number of possessions where it happened is absurd. He would have, I mean, I almost feel like he would have set records or something. But, I mean, it's so efficient. Really, I mean, the percentage is unbelievable, and that's what they did. They just... They used a lot of high screens for him and surrounded him with shooters. And that's why Virginia Tech, they're just full of them. Everyone can shoot on that team. Even Blackshear can hit. All right, so let's see. Um, let's start. Ahmed Hill. Ahmed Hill, I'd probably say he's my favorite player on uh, Virginia Tech this season. He is 3 and D. He has energy. He has positivity. He committed to Buzz at Marquette, came with him to Virginia Tech, and uh, Virginia Tech, I mean, they had a rough start in the transition under Buzz, and he was injured his sophomore year, redshirted due to the injury. So he's not, it was him and uh, Ty Outlaw, both of them are not just four-year seniors. Uh, he is a fifth-year senior. Outlaw is a sixth-year senior. Kerry Blackshear refers to Hill as uh, Virginia Tech's energy on both ends of the floor. He's basically, I think, an under-control extension of Buzz's energy, and Hill calls him his father figure, so I love Buzz. I mean, just no nonsense, but you just, you know what you're getting from him, and uh, he is very energetic. Uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, but, but, but Ahmad Hill, he, or Ahmed Hill, knockdown shooter, and just provides everything. He, I, I would consider him the leader on the team uh, for Virginia Tech. Nikhil Alexander-Walker, he is the cousin of Shea Gilgis-Alexander, he is a Canadian, so maybe R.J. Barrett played with him at times uh, or knows him because obviously all Canadians know each other, right? Um, really smart player, crafty, long, not uber-athletic. He, he just He's smart. He knows how to get his shot off. and He's really benefited from Robinson's return as a scorer, but I, I think, just having, as I said, having Robinson out, it did help him in other aspects of the game. Uh, I would say defense, he's kind of up and down because he doesn't have that really accelerated foot speed. But at the same time, he, he's, he's great at anticipating. So, I mean, I would say he's definitely not a negative, a net negative on defense. But really smart player, crafty. Virginia Tech needs a, a, a guy to go one-on-one. -on -one. He might be the choice. This guy, I might be pronouncing his name wrong, which I apologize for. Wabisa, uh, Wabisa Bede. Or Bede. Bede? I'll call him Be uh, Bede. Bede. 
Um, if you've seen the uh, the Spider-Man meme on social media, it's kind of like that with Jordan Goldwire. If Kay had kind of just given Goldwire the reins at times and said, you know what, play through mistakes, learn through live action, and just go be more aggressive, I would say it could have turned out like uh, Bede is becoming for Virginia Tech when Robinson was out. He, it was so... It was great action that, that he received, great playing time. He was fantastic versus Duke, but in the same way that teams aren't going to guard Goldwire, they're not going to guard uh, Bede because he just he's not consistent enough from three. You'd rather just live with, if he's going to make one of those, live with it. It's the same way that I mean, teams are doing with Trey Jones and Goldwire. So, I mean, some people think it's, like, disrespectful. I mean, yes, in a way, but not, like, angry. Don't be angry about it. It's just basketball. Um, Ty, Ty Outlaw, 60-year senior, three-point gunner. Three of seven versus Duke on February 26th. Essentially hit the game winner. So, uh, yeah, great shooter. Knockdown shooter. Um, also, with Outlaw, missed 2015-16 with a heart condition. 2017-18, missed, missed the year with an ACL tear. He was recently presented with the ACC's Bob Bradley Spirit and Courage Award, and he also grew up as a Duke fan. So uh, he was, uh, there was a uh, marijuana issue, I think there's possession, and he, he just tested and came up clean. So he should be good to go versus Duke. Hopefully he is, and I would like to see Duke go against a full-strength Virginia Tech team, and he seems like a good dude, so I'd like to see him get on. Get some PT, and, uh, I mean, he will get some PT if he's available. Great player. Isaiah Wilkins, no relation to the Virginia, the ex-Virginia player. I haven't watched a ton of him. He did make some huge plays against Duke. He's mostly, I would say, I would call a perimeter glue guy. It's his freshman season, and he was actually supposed to... Buzz had planned to redshirt him up until about four days before the season began. So he's been a total surprise. He lost about 20 pounds before the season started and has really developed his game. He's, he's supposedly a great shooter, hasn't shot a ton, but I think he's more accepting his role in his first year. So I, I would guess we'll be hearing a lot from him coming up. Uh, P.J. Horn, he missed a stretch of games with a leg injury. Right now he's back, but he doesn't really seem to be much a part of the rotation. I would say, though, he is the one guy um, around that kind of 6'5 range who is not a shooter. He's not going to be that same positionless basketball type, but he is, mo he is more physical than some of the other guys. And if Zion's just knocking guys around inside, I think we might see some more P.J. Horn. Who knows? To just add, add more physicality. Uh, Jonathan Cabongo, he is, uh, if you remember Mike Cabongo at Texas Tech, a one-and-done he is, I believe, his brother, and he, he gave some uh, quality minutes as a freshman at backup point guard. I would guess he is unlikely to see much action now that Robinson's back. And we got Kerry Blackshear, who I have referred to as Wendell Carter Light. Doesn't have the same incredible Hulk, kind of freakish um, physique and strength, but it doesn't take anything away from how fantastic a player he is. Just inside, outside, smart, instinctual, and he can he can he can play physical. Just because I'm saying he's not Wendell Carter, and I do think he actually can be more physical than Wendell Carter. Not because he's stronger, because I think Wendell Carter is still 
he was still kind of feeling out the process. He's still growing into his body. Whereas you have a guy like Blackshear, who he's played he's played years in college. He knows who he is at this time. He's gone through the growing pains. And I, I just I love his game. He was such a tough matchup for Duke inside outside, especially Bolden. Alright, so getting into more of strategy. Cam Reddish, there's been some articles lately about how he's the big shot guy and he hit one at the end of Texas Tech Florida, and Florida State and uh, Central Florida, I guess, and he, he had Louisville. I think he attempted, like, he was like 4 of 8 in the last 5 minutes, which is ridiculous just in terms of how, how many attempts that is um, at the end of a game. But I think you have to look about when those shots are occurring and how they're occurring because... A lot of them were there really quickly. As soon as Duke got the ball, he, he would jack it. A lot of them came in transition. And I think that's when he's in rhythm the most because if a team is just, if somebody gets the ball in half court and, and they're even a little bit unsure or they're just shooting too soon or just out of the rhythm of the offense, I mean, that's why a guy like Goldwire or Trey Jones, when they get the ball, if they're not putting it right up, if they're thinking about it, they're looking ahead of them and seeing guys kind of dare them to shoot. Or, I mean, Trey Jones, if he's being guarded by, like, the center, like Taco Fall, I mean, that, that'll mess with your head a little bit. So, um, yeah, I think Cam, it's, it's about rhythm, and it's about consistency, and, man, I'm looking for that consistency. Two halves in a game. Not just one, because Virginia Tech, we got that one half, but I'm, I'm, I'm hoping for two. Uh, let's see. Um, I would like more action created for Trey. Or you know what? There had there's been more. I would get. I, I would say talk uh, writing about how Duke should get Trey into more action, whether it's using him as a screener or screening for him. And this is the type of thing again, which I say, if if you've listened to the podcast the entire year. I've repeated that endlessly. So I don't really know what to say about that. That's what I've been saying the whole year. If people are all of a sudden just discovering it now, then I, good for them. I don't know. If, if it's not just a story that's occurring now, it's not suddenly this revelation. Um, I would say they could use Bolden more as a roller in pick and roll just to create more action because Virginia Tech, they're going to pack it in. They're going to sink down. Uh, and just to get Blackshear out a little more. Obviously, Bolden isn't going to provide much of a threat from outside, but just to kind of make Virginia Tech think, because otherwise it's too, there's too often a half-court set is just one screen to, designed to get RJ or Zion the ball, and then they, they make a play, and it's just like there's nothing going on, there's no energy. It, it, it's rough. I mean, at the end of games, obviously, you just want to work through Zion, and let RJ do his thing, but throughout the game, let's try to get some rhythm, let's try to get some energy in there. Um, besides that, I will say, before I get to the X Factor, let's, uh, I mean, fun with stats, uh, the bench. I think this is, this is a crazy stat, um, which just goes to show how, hey, you can use the stats how you want, but, uh, in the last 23 games, the bench comparison has stuck to a specific trend in 20 games. Outscore the opponent without Zion, get outscored with Zion, and the only three resulting in the opposite were all three Syracuse games. 
The other 20 games all held true to that formula, including Virginia Tech without Zion. I believe that was 18-5 uh, to 5 when they outscored Virginia Tech, the bench. I'm just speaking to the bench versus the other team's bench. So what we can take from this is when Duke has Zion, K isn't really worried about points. And yes, you can say that Duke, their offense wasn't the problem against Virginia Tech. It was the defense that was a big issue. You could say same thing against Flor against um, Central Florida. But it all it all works together. It's symbiotic. So if if Duke can really knock down a uh, knock down a big shot, it's like Cam Reddish when he knocks down a big shot, it lifts the energy of everyone in. Then the energy is translated to the defense. Defense back to offense and it works together. So I would say that if they can really get more pop in the offense, it could help the defense because otherwise it's it's kind of leaving things up to chance. You never know with these one game sample sizes. With uh you, you just never know. You never know. Especially 18 to 22 year old kids. I repeat it every time. You never know what's going on in their heads. And uh and if you if you just if you look at like let's say it doesn't I'm not even saying kids, like if you just go by opening day baseball, how does somebody do? You go, and imagine if that was the only thing you could take from it. The NBA, if, if you'd like, I remember, um, I'm not, ugh, I'm terrible with names. Um, the, uh, the Sixers, the last couple games last season, I believe against, um, I don't know, they, they, they had shooters they picked up just for like, it was almost like a rental. And if you would judge those shooters just by those couple games, they would be like the greatest shooters ever. But you know what? you got to prove it over a longer period of time, but that's not what the NCAA tournament is about. The NCAA tournament is a, an exciting, small-sample-based event, and that's what makes it like none other. Um, so I would say the bench, I, I think that's where my big point could lead to. And again, when, don't take this as like I'm making the bold prediction. This is my hot take. I don't do that kind of stuff. This is just what I believe could work against the Virginia Tech defense. Uh, this is not a take. I don't do content. This is just me evaluating the team. Um, with Virginia Tech's defense so often looking like zone, I mean, they can give up threes. That's they want you to. So, Duke, uh, they're really going to just stick with, I mean, with when you have Goldwire and Trey, Trey on Goldwire, you're really relying on forced turnovers. And if Virginia Tech, if they're not able to, then you're playing with fire. So I would say maybe they're throwing some zone in there because who knows, if, if you can play zone just not all the time, and I, th and I think we might see it, I think it might have been in the plans anyway. But if you remember, like, Alex O'Connell, when he played zone last year with that extended 2-3 when the wings were really extended out. He was fantastic in it. And uh, when he gave up the 3 to Outlaw at the end uh, last game versus Virginia Tech, that was, man, just responsibility. But at the same time, it's just, I think he, he does kind of get lost in there sometimes in man. But the big thing with him is, is just transition defense because I do not ever talk about effort level in terms of really harping on that, except for transition defense. If you can't get back, if you're not going to hustle back, I don't know how K can play you. 
And it is, it's just, it's a bad look to not get back in transition. And I remember that's why Goldwire started to make such a big impact. Many think Louisville, it was Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh was sort of a letdown game, and Goldwire, he made such a big impact. Don't just look at the final stats. Look at, look at the score when he came in and the difference he made in that game with the energy. Then, obviously, Louisville happened and, all, and so on. The thing with Goldwire is you know a guy like that is never going to get beat down the court in transition. He's going to, he's going to cover the correct lane. That's the big issue with O'Connell. If you can't, if you can't get back in transition, or you're not willing to, or you're unable to, I don't know how K is going to trust you. But what he can provide is so vital against a team like Virginia Tech. I mean, he was two of two last game against Virginia Tech, and you want to know his stats versus uh, the ACC teams. If you take away North Carolina, because I don't know what the deal is with North Carolina. He never even looks like the same player as any other time when he gets in versus North Carolina. But if you take away those North Carolina games, he is 17 of 34 from three this season. He's a 50% three-point shooter. That's not overall field goals. That's threes. And versus zone teams, he's 16 of 31. Oh, I'm sorry. I have these stats. I Actually, I went back and looked at some of the stuff I had uh, tweeted before Virginia Tech, so this is before February twenty sixth. So if you so, you would add any stats after this February twenty sixth or after, and for February twenty sixth, Virginia Tech, he was two of two. But uh, so seven games versus zone teams coming into that game, he was sixteen of thirty one, fifty six point one percent, and sixteen of twenty nine in five games with more than one three point attempt. Then you go to 19 games versus man teams, 7 of 29, uh, 24.1%, and 4 of 25 post-Kentucky. So he, it's, it's rhythm. I mean, that's why Jack White was so hard. It was so hard for him to break out of that rhythm because if you look at what I'm about to say, first three games, 6 of 11, next 4, 0 of 2, next 4, 6 of 18, next 4, 0 of 3, next game, 4 of 8, Next eight games, two of seven, plus a DMP. Next two games, five of 11. That's what O'Connell was heading into Virginia Tech, then with the two of two, and he's, and he's kind of, he's barely even gotten action since, I think he got, uh, he shot pretty well, even uh, the couple games after that, it was like Miami and some, but uh, he, I mean, he, there's DMP versus Central Florida, and it's, I mean, how, you have a guy that his strength is Duke's biggest weakness, and if, I mean, Zion wasn't back. I mean, that's when Duke was experimenting with lineups, when O'Connell was getting some more playing time. Now that Zion's back, and you, you would hope Zion can cover for some of the issues O'Connell has. Obviously, Zion can't get back totally in transition for him, but he, I mean, he can get those chase down blocks. But at the same time, it wouldn't be... Zion is a band-aid for a lot of stuff. So O'Connell can can provide something no one else can, I think it would be interesting to play Reddish and O'Connell at the same time. When you look at the lineup stats with them on together, it hasn't looked great, but it hasn't occurred often this season. So I would like to see a bigger sample size of the two of them on together just to see. I mean, right now, it's it's worth experimenting because otherwise... I mean, uh, Goldwire, I, I love him, but there's a lot of Tyler Thornton in there. 
and sometimes Tyler Thornton would get would stay on the court a little too long and would make too many decisions with the ball when it's better to just give the ball to others to make plays who are more successful at it, just to the bottom line. That's not a negative against Tyler Thornton. It's not a negative against Jordan Goldwire. It's just kind of what is. Because, I mean, it's not top 100 for Alex O'Connell shooting or top 50. I mean, top 100 is 14 of 30, top 50, 12 of 26. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's just... If, if Virginia Tech is the type of team that's going to dare you to shoot, why not? Why not? Because... I mean, if Alex O'Connell proves he's not going to get back, then yeah, take him off. There's there's, there's no other option. But Jack White, it has been, uh, Kay referred to him as um, more unlikely than uh, probable. So I think that was his like round, roundabout way of saying questionable. Um, yeah, so I would doubt that he's playing. Against Virginia Tech, and and again O'Connell, he he can hit as long as as long as it's not against UNC. You give him opportunities, he'll hit him, and he can make plays for others. You don't want him turning the ball over, making silly decisions. But I think he could be the X factor. I think he is the X factor if he is given the chance to be an X factor. So uh, Duke Virginia Tech, uh, Maryland fans, hopefully they they aren't. Uh, they aren't. Uh, they don't come in uh, droves to just kind of root against uh, Duke. Um, Virginia Tech. I think it's almost like the same distance away from uh, DC. I could be wrong, and if I'm wrong, yeah. But uh, it's almost the same distance away from DC's dorm. So that's. I don't think that's really the advantage that most people think. I was. I actually uh, went to the 2016 ACC tournament. And uh, one of the teams was Virginia. I didn't see many fans, really, for Virginia, which was odd. So I don't know if Virginia Tech, their fans are more loyal. But, I mean, Duke, they do they do have a lot of people that graduate from Duke and work in D.C. Or you know, even come down from New York. So Duke will have some, definitely some support. And hopefully Quinn Cook, like I said on the uh, last part, hopefully... He uh, calls up some of his DMV buddies and gets them all nice and rowdy and tickets close to the action. Um, Justin Robinson is from Manassas, so Manassas is about, I believe, half hour away from Capital One Arena where the games are being played. So I'm guessing he will have some support. How much? I don't know. But we'll see because... uh, yeah, I mean, I think Duke is going to have support no matter where they go. It's just how many I guess, Maryland fans decide to show up just to boo Duke. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think it uh, should be very, very interesting. And uh, the last thing I will say, and I just checked to make sure this is recording again, because, again, this is my, this is my third time recording this podcast, guys. So, hopefully, it is enjoyed, even though there isn't much time to listen before the game. Um, Duke is 6 of 4 versus 7 of the current 11 teams left in the NCAA tournament with four, four games being played last night in the Sweet 16. In the Sweet 16 East, obviously Virginia Tech, 0 of 1, Michigan State, and LSU have not played either. The East will play the West in the Final Four. In the Elite Eight game, Gonzaga, 0 of 1, will play Texas Tech, 1 and 0. On the other side of the bracket, the uh, Mountain West, I'm sorry, Mountain West. Midwest, 
The Sweet 16 Midwest of UNC 1 of 2 versus Auburn 1 and 0. Again, this is Duke's record versus those teams. The other Sweet 16 game in the Midwest, uh, Kentucky 1 and 0 versus Houston, haven't played. And then in the Elite 8, UVA 2 and 0 versus Purdue. So, that's interesting. I mean, if Kentucky beats Houston, I mean, that'll be Kentucky versus the winner of UNC Auburn. Duke's guaranteed to play a team then, and UVA, obviously. So there's a lot of teams left that Duke has played. How much it means if it came from earlier in the season, I don't think much. Um, especially when a team is young, like Kentucky. And obviously Duke was young as well. But Kentucky wasn't ready. I don't think there's one thing you can take from that Duke-Kentucky game. Not one legitimate thing. So, I don't know. Um... Gonzaga is different, though, because Gonzaga, that was kind of who they are, even though they did not have Killian Tilly. So, jeez. I mean, people think, Duke, if you're going to say Duke doesn't have a player versus uh, a certain team, recognize who the other team doesn't have as well. Killian Tilly is a fantastic player. Justin Robinson is a fantastic player for Virginia Tech. So, it should be a, uh, should be a great game tonight. Um for uh, Coach K to kind of hopefully move on to 100 wins in the NCAA tournament. And should be a good time. They will play. If they win, they will play the winner of Michigan State, LSU. If it's LSU, that will be the J.J. Redick revenge game, along with Sheldon Williams, Lee Malchione, and Sean Dockery. And if it is Michigan State, that will be the gorilla stat. That uh, article... A couple years ago when Duke was 11-1, now 13-1, not Duke. Uh, well, yeah, Duke when Mike Krzyzewski with his record at Duke against Tom Izzo, which is an interesting stat right there, which I'm sure you'll hear more about that if Duke is fortunate enough to meet Michigan State in the lead eight. It's only happened three times in the 13 times Duke has been a one seed where they've met the two seed in the lead eight. That was 1992. 1998, and 2015, which was versus Gonzaga. Who who knows? They might meet in the Final Four. So I don't want to make any promises. I am not guaranteed to keep. I hopefully will at least get something out on Michigan State or LSU if Duke does advance. Either way, I will hopefully... I will, I will be back very soon either way, hopefully after um, the game in the Sweet 16 to preview the next game, and hopefully we'll be moving on together. Until tonight, Duke, Virginia Tech, Sweet 16, Washington, D.C. Let's roll.